0: Did you come here for the news? Then you've come to the right place. Uh, We are today gonna talk about Nope, uh, which is the third and most recent Jordan Peele movie, uh, now available for rental in the privacy of your home. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit later about the latest iteration in the career of Britney Spears, which is sort of running on parallel tracks as this really punishing and painful reality television show uh, and a musical career. Uh, We'll also talk about an attempt to kind of—well, I mean, a question about whether the series She-Hulk is being sabotaged by aggressive male online reviewers— all right, so that's a uh, quite a mouthful. All of that. Uh, before I introduce the panel, let me just introduce you to the movie. Nope. Uh, let's hear a little clip. This is a one. Dylan. Uh, this is Daniel Kaluuya as OJ Haywood. Kiki Palmer as Emerald Haywood. They are brother and sister, uh, and they are. They provide both the dramatic thrust of this movie and also quite a bit of its comic relief as well. Here they go. What's
1: about a bad miracle. They got to work for that. Nope. They said it was a private plane or something that killed Pops. That, sh- that ain't never made sense to me. And tonight I heard a ghost make a sound. I ain't never heard a horse make What did you see?
2: Hmm?
1: That's big. How big? Big.
2: What'd it look like? I don't know.
1: It was fast. Too fast. Too quiet to be a plane.
2: O.J., are you saying what I think you're saying?
0: And, in fact, we know what it is. You don't know what it is if you haven't seen the movie yet. But when I say we, who do I mean? Raquel Benedict is the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. She's the host of the Right Good, that's G-U-D, podcast. Uh, Tanisha Dugan is associate producer at Octopus Theatricals. Uh, Sean Murray is a stand-up comedian and writer and the host of the Nobody Asked Sean, S-A-J-W-N, podcast. I have to spell everybody's podcast. Why do I feel that compulsion? Uh, Why do I have it? So, um, so Sean, maybe you can kind of get us going here. Um, this is, as I said, the third Jordan Peele movie uh, after Get Out and Us. It It is, I think, fair to say something of a departure from the things that he's done previously without necessarily ditching those elements either. But say more about that.
3: Yeah, I think uh, it's I think what this one is a deliberate effort on. Jordan Peele's part to not make it like what he's called his other movies like a social horror or social thriller like there are definitely there's a lot of meat to it but I think this one was his first attempt where he's like I just want to be a great filmmaker like I want to make something big for theaters that's a blockbuster that um explores some deeper ideas but does it in The most spectacular way possible i think like as great as get out is which is like one of the unassailable movies of the 2010s i think um it's his triumph of like really good storytelling and a great screenplay and great performances but it's not like the most visually arresting movie of uh, that i've ever seen And, and by design i think with each outing he's he's gotten stronger as a filmmaker and as a like a visual stylist and I think like this This movie is so audacious in terms, like what, like the third act of this movie is not at all what you would have ever expected from this movie and it's like, it's gorgeous and it's like, you just don't see that from like mainstream filmmaking today.
0: Right, uh, kind of an interesting cast here too. Uh, we mentioned uh, the, the two leads, but there's also uh, Stephen Yeun, you know him from Walking Dead um, and Ren Schmidt. Uh, I have fallen in love with her from For All Mankind. Um and a young man named uh, Brandon Perea, who is on the verge of stealing almost every scene that he's in. Apparently, uh, Jordan Peele beefed up his part when he realized how good this guy was. Um, so, fun to watch. So, yeah, Tanisha, I'm not even sure I know exactly what you're— because you are an international woman of mystery, I don't entirely know what your thinking is about NOPE, but I'm, I think I'm about to find out.
4: Well, it's— let's just say I've learned that I've come to the point in my life where it takes me three shots to get through any movie. I just, they are a lullaby for me, no matter how good or bad. So when I first got into this one, I was like, Nope, this is not a movie for me. Uh, But when I finally was able to sort of like get through it top to bottom, I think I'm uh, in agreement with, with Sean's assessment. Um, It definitely feels like Jordan is working hard to not, have a message <laughs> in in this movie, and yet the uh, cloud hanging over my head, the the omnipresent cloud in my life, feels like a heavy handed uh, symbol. Um, but but I, you know, Daniel Kaluuya Cull- is always you know interesting. Kiki Palmer is herself in whatever movie she does. Um, I, it was good performances. I actually, I think the one place I would disagree with you, Sean, is. I actually thought the the cinematography on this was re- really interesting. Um maybe it's the landscapes of northern California that that that's got me um excited, but there was something about seeing these black actors, you know, in this kind of western uh, uh Sensibility, these wide open spaces, and them just sort of trekking the landscape—that felt really special and like something I hadn't seen a lot coming from those kinds of bodies.
0: Right. I mean, I think there's a couple of things that are kind of going on in the culture right now that are are combined here, Tanisha. One of them is the kind of the sci-fi western. Uh, We see it with Westworld. We see it. uh, There's like, I know Amazon Prime has two. One's called Outer Range. Night Sky, I think, might be the other one. I can't keep them all straight. We're also starting to see a re-examination of uh, and celebration of the Black Cowboy, the story of the Black Cowboy. We've done a lot of shows uh, about this at this point, and there's a way in which this thing sets up from the very beginning. These two siblings are the son of a father who really, uh, you know, had played an an instrumental role in supplying and training horses uh, for Westerns, and their family lineage goes back essentially to the the foundation of cinema. Uh, So there's kind of a Sense of not only the black cowboy but the black western or the role of black creators in, in in making the western genre what it is. So there's there's kind of a lot. This is all kind of on our plate in interesting ways right now, and, and it all kind of comes together uh, under Jordan Peele's tutelage or wand or something. Uh, so Raquel Benedict, how, how about you? Where are you on? Well, I know where you are on. You first of all, you saw it first in the theater, correct? I did. I'm really glad I got to see it in the theater because some of those shots of that like big
5: space thing flying down when it's splayed across the big screen, it's really, really startling and astonishing. It's, and- it's a gorgeous movie. I loved the, the night shots, just the way there's this subtle glow to everything. And just how big the sky is. I I love this movie. If you can tell, uh, when I walked out of the theater, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, but I kept thinking about it for days and days and days after it, and wanting to talk about it with other people. Which is usually how it goes when a movie becomes something I'm obsessed with. <laughs> um, I, I definitely feel like uh, Jordan Peele's almost like our our generations, this generation's. John Carpenter and that he makes these movies that are obviously like accessible and really enjoyable to general audiences, but they're very smart and there definitely is a political side to them, even if it's not necessarily like front and center. I, I think I know what you mean in that this movie has a message, but it's not so much a message movie. It feels a little bit more organic to the characters rather than the characters serving as mouthpieces of the message necessarily.
0: Right. And and Sean to her point, I I feel like I made a mistake, which is I started watching this thinking I was going to watch another Jordan Peele movie, so to speak, and and kind of psyched up about that and wanting to have the particular thrill of that combination of things, and then it wasn't like that at all, and I I spent way too long trying to fit it into my my preconception about what I was going to watch. I'm going to have to watch the movie again and kind of be open to what Peele is doing, but one name that keeps coming up, Sean, is Spielberg, and I think it's even come up with Peele. I think he said he started out with Close Encounters and then turned it into Jaws. Uh, something something like that Uh, but uh, there's a there's it's hard not to see Spielberg just maybe in the way the movies shot
3: absolutely absolutely like it's um uh, first let me just clear up uh, for Tunisia I I didn't mean that this movie is not uh, interesting. I think this movie is gorgeous I was saying like get out is not the most doesn't have the most
4: yeah yeah uh, yeah
3: amazing uh, cinematography but to this point about Spielberg I mean yeah it's like I think one If you're of a certain age as a filmmaker you can't and you're making something big you can't avoid Referencing Spielberg, but I think like there's a deliberate like there's so much jaws and there's so much close encounters in this movie and um, I think Spielberg sort of mastered like Spectacle and fun and thrill all like in one. Um, I think this movie does that so well like it but I think the, it's also like the Jaws and Jurassic Park thing of like holding back the sort of the obvious like thing at the center of the movie, like Jaws, like with the shark or like um, you don't see um, the dinosaurs like in the park, like right off the bat. And so then when you finally do see it, it's like it's so rewarding. And I think going back to what I was saying about the third act, like when you finally see what like they've been chasing after or it's been chasing after them in a lot of ways, it's like. What is like you've never seen anything like that in a, in a like on a on a big screen
0: right um i want to play another clip here this is um once again the two leads uh Kiki palmer and daniel Kaluuya, K- kaluya uh as the Haywood siblings uh and maybe I'll just set up this clip or why I think it's interesting because there's a third part of this. that I don't think we have well, – may maybe three, four, and five different parts worth discussing. But the a, a third part of this is it's also kind of a movie about IP, right? There's a way in which it's a, a movie about the movie business and about intellectual property and about getting a certain kind of shot. Uh, I would simply say that in without spoiling anything, I hope in Jaws – they're not trying to get pictures of things uh here they're trying to get pictures of things all right here are the two leads
2: you know i ain't trying to run it up i just was looking online and i seen a lot of you
0: shit. know i'm broke right
2: we we'll use my money <laughs> shut up look all right there it is five to 100k oh read it you read it dyslexic ass the point is a website like cyber dominion will pay five to 100k for Photographic evidence of UFOs and shit. 100K? And that's just what I saw on the first go. Now that I'm thinking about it, f Cyber Dominion, this right here is a moment, our moment. He set it up, released the right way. and <laughs> I'm talking rich and famous for life. How? How, how we put it out? Mm. And that's what I'm saying. We don't just go for the quick cash in, okay? We, we go to the most credible platform to do the story.
1: What's that, like Open?
2: Yeah. Like Oprah, for example. After that, everybody
1: won't in. I'm saying there's plenty of videos of flying online. I saw one the other day that wasn't on Oprah.
2: Like, all I'm saying is all that online is fake, low quality. Ain't nobody going to get what we going to get. What we going to get? The shot. What shot? The shot. The money shot. Undeniable, singular, the, the Oprah shot.
0: The Oprah shot? All right, so Tudy says, and we have to be careful about spoilers here. But this is a very funny conversation they're having. But it is another part of this movie, right? And the movie kind of begins with them trying to do their usual Hollywood work, and and kind of getting kicked off a project because somebody else did something stupid. Uh, but it's I think a lot of this movie is maybe Jordan Peele also having a little bit of a chance to reflect on his first few experiences with Hollywood, with getting the right shot, with selling the intellectual property the right way
4: mm. yeah I mean I, I think that's probably true and, and maybe I'm I'm small but f- you know for me I I see it more about like this this idea of us needing to capture something in order for it to be relevant or real um and so it's like the meta it's it's maybe less meta than than Jordan and more very specific to the way I watch us all sort of participate in life which is like if it didn't you know I could feel like I'm stealing this from some TikTok kid but like if I didn't tiktok it or instagram it it didn't happen um and so you know yes it's about the money for them right capturing this you know thing that's happened this 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 thing that's happening in their in their life but it's also like the spectacle isn't real unless it's recorded which feels very I don't know, real to me as, as a way in which we sort of go through life at this particular point. And I think, you know, as it relates to Jordan, I mean, uh, yeah, Jordan Peele. I think that, like, he ha- he hasn't lost yet. You know, I think I I emailed uh, Jonathan as soon as this movie came out because I was looking at reviews and I was like, can't miss this one. Um, and so I don't I don't know if I could get into the psychology of how he is thinking about his past movies because I don't know if he's missed yet, which has got to be a tremendous pressure when you're trying to create.
0: It's a really good point. I hadn't really thought that much uh, about that part of it. But you're right. He doesn't know yet what it's like to crash and burn. Uh, and maybe he won't ever. Who knows? Um, Raquel, there's something we haven't talked about, which is there's sort of a parallel plot line. And I think I can say a little bit about it without spoiling anything. And it's that one of the characters has been, had been a child actor, had appeared in a running TV show in which a chimp uh, was a, a featured player. Uh, and there was, and this I think is revealed early enough of the movie, so it's not, there was kind of a horrible Charlene. Nash type incident where the the chip, chip ran amok and and either injured or killed a lot of people, and I'm still not quite sure that I understand why it's running alongside. I mean, I, I sort of I see the parallelism, but could you say a little bit since you watched it in theater and you've been thinking about it ever since? What are you thinking about that part of it?
5: Yeah, I think I think that part of it it it's not necessarily important for the plot element, like. It does reveal the motivation of this one particular character, this this uh, former child actor, and it sort of shows why he does the thing that he does. But I think it's more of about drawing a, a parallel in terms of themes, in terms of the way animals and child actors are exploited by the industry. I mean, he he was a child actor, and this chimp was a, a an animal actor, and these are animal these are creatures or beings that really shouldn't be there like it's not good for you to be uh, uh, in front of a camera like that and it and i think it speaks to this larger idea and discussion throughout the film of how the spectacle kind of sucks people up and and grinds them up and and sort of spits them out in order in order to keep going and in order to feed itself because not only does this thing happen to him the event becomes fodder for a lot of jokes, for a lot of discourse, and like his career as an adult is capitalizing on this horrific, horrific trauma, which is really, really sad and really disturbing. I mean, he's kind of selling like memorabilia based on this, this time that a horrible thing happened to him. Right. And you know, yeah, it's yeah. Interesting.
4: I also wonder if if the the sort of device of the child star and the show also gives Jordan a place to play with some of this imagery. I mean, there's an unmistakable E.T. reference, right, Um, baked into one of those moments. And it also is like the way in which we get the most horror specific acts, you know, because without, I think, that parallel track, it feels like a sci-fi movie, but but less like a horror. And so I, I do wonder, you know, for me, if if the device of the child star and the show and the chimp gives Jordan sort of breath to sort of play in another genres and to really, you know, ode and, and love love on the the directors and the and the movies that he spoke about, you know, being his inspiration for this. Right. I you, know, so. and
3: I can't, oh, you know. Go sorry. ahead. Go, no, go ahead, Sean. No, I was going to say. Um, to Ra- uh, Raquel's point, I think there is uh, also, like, I think the child star, um, Stephen Young's character, I think the parallel extends into be- it being like when he was a child, he experienced someone, uh, people trying to control nature and then seeing nature sort of like respond negatively to that. And then he grows up and doesn't learn that lesson. So, without spoiling the end, of, like, the third act of the movie, but like, there are consequences to him not. He sort of tried to do the same thing, and he deals with the consequences of that. Of you know what I mean, like trying to control like something that shouldn't be controlled.
0: Right. Oh, well, I feel like, I, yeah, and I feel like I have to tiptoe into this, but I'm glad you're saying this because one of the thoughts that I've been having is, well, actually, I was thinking back to remember when either Siegfried or Roy was Roy was attacked by their tiger. Uh, and Chris Rock had a whole thing about this where he said people said, said the tiger went crazy. <laughs> and he said, that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. He goes, tiger was crazy when he was riding around on a little bicycle with a German army helmet on. That was crazy. <laughs> but there's a sense in which the children... Chimp goes chimp. Uh, And there's a sense also in in which the other presence that's in this movie that we can't really say too much about is what it is, you know, and and maybe is never dealt with on that basis. Um, You know, it is what it is. It is. It isn't. uh, There isn't necessarily evil incarnate up in the skies there's just something up there that's doing what it does uh and, and sean i'm kind of wondering whether that's another part of the message here which is if all you can think of is i got to get a really great picture of this thing you might miss the point of the thing
3: absolutely and i think like like you said like i, I was going to reference that same chris rock joke uh like that's just the nature of that thing. Like the chimp didn't do anything wrong necessarily, except except for the fact that they shouldn't have been in that environment in the first place. And for the, uh, as you put it, the, the, the presence that exists in this uh, film, um, it's, we, you never get a chance to understand it. Right. So like, this, this, is it malevolent or is it just, is it just doing what it does? And I think it's, um it's an interesting thing because like they never, the, their first thought and I, this goes back to uh, to Tanisha's point earlier about like our desire, like if some, you got to capture something or um, it didn't happen, it's like I think the it, it's a comment on like how we live in society now, where it's like it's not they never even try to understand it or try to get like they don't even think about their own safety. They the first thing they think of is like we can make money off of this. You know what I mean? They they never try to even like explore like what this means for their world. Their first thought is, oh, this is happening. We could probably like profit off of this. And I think that's sort of like the whole, one of the larger points of the movie.
0: Um, Tanisha, I would say this is the funniest of the Jordan Peele movies. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I just, I think, you know, you were saying before that you kind of need the chimp story to get the horror. And I totally agree with that. I mean, the, the chimp was when I was afraid. I wasn't really afraid much of the rest of the time. But part of it was the other two movies are funny, but this, like you're laughing a lot of the time in this movie.
4: You are. And, you know, Jordan talks, I think there was an interview when someone said, oh, did uh, Kiki Palmer have to audition? And he was like, Kiki Palmer doesn't audition. And I think that, you know, choice of Kiki is what makes it funny. Um, I remember, you know, you guys were talking in the threads and you're saying, you know, there's not a lot of dialogue here. And I think, you know, Daniel's character, this antihero doesn't speak much, but Kiki is sort of all over the place and she, and she really does serve as this comic relief. Um, but it's, it's also, to me, it's like that beautiful uh, dance of siblings, right? You've got this quiet one. You've got this audacious, loud, hilarious one. Um, and, and I'm not sure it would, it would be quite a humorous movie if it weren't for that actress, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, but also they're they're so interestingly matched too. I think yeah. Kalia is one of the really great face actors of his generation. He can say an awful lot with a look or with those there's a couple of really deep night shots where suddenly you just see his eyes, but they're not just eyes. They the expression in those eyes. Yeah. is saying I mean, a lot. he's the
4: that moment he's recalling his dad mm. and I turned to my to the person I was watching the movie with and I was like that is some like serious, serious acting. I was like, human beings don't want to cry. And you can see all of this emotion working on this man's face as he's recalling, you know, his dad and what he feels he needs to do for his dad. Daniel, I mean, I use I use anti-hero truly because, you know the wrangler in him that fails in the beginning becomes, you know, the one who understands all the points you guys brought up. Right. He's like, this animal needs to be worked with. I need to understand. I and mean, I think he has a whole monologue with Angel and, and his sister about how to tame an animal. It's, it's, you're right, Colin, they are a really Stunning matchup because of their differences in the way that they approach the work.
0: All right, I see you by the clock on the clubhouse wall. We've got to go to a break here. When we come back, we will attempt to make sense of the life and times of Britney Spears. One-eyed,
1: one-horned, flying
0: purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. one I so really came down to earth and he lit in the tree. I said, Mister purple people eater, don't eat me. I heard him say in a voice so gruff.
1: I wouldn't eat you, cause you're so tough. It was a one eyed, one horn flying purple people leader. One eyed, one horn
0: flying purple people leader.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare.
5: Elevating Health is funded by (laughs) Hartford Healthcare.
0: I feel as though you could have spent a good portion of your life in the last few years following the extended story, documentary coverage, etc. of Britney Spears and the pretty clearly exploitive uh, conservatorship uh, initiated by her father. Um, That seems to be closing as a chapter in her life. And she has, in fact, released a brand new single. You're hearing it right now, If it sounds oddly familiar. First of all, she recorded it with Sir Elton John, uh, and it is sort of a mashup of three of his musical themes, most notably, of course, the chorus of Tiny Dancer. Um, Meanwhile, while that's happening, she is, in fact, also speaking out about the conservatorship in a 22-minute audio recording, explaining what happened to her. I found actually that I had more thoughts about Britney Spears than I would have guessed. But uh, but Raquel Benedict, maybe you can get us going here. Let me just remind people today on the show, Raquel Benedict, uh, Tanisha Dugan, and Sean Murray are the knows. Uh So, Raquel, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to start the conversation exactly. So I'm just going to let you say whatever you want to say about Britney Spears.
5: Oh, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I mean yeah it well i I feel like this topic ties really really well to the the movie nope there's this fun parallel between it i mean the movie nope starts with this quotation i will cast abominable filth upon you make you vile and make you a spectacle and i feel like that kind of is the britney spears story a little bit like it's really hard to to under uh uh, to, to fully grasp just how much performing since the age of 10 for audiences would warp your brain and warp your sense of self. This is, we're talking about an entertainment industry that chews up and damages full grown adults. And she went into this as like a 10 year old <laughs> and it's wild. And, and and I mean, the song itself isn't really anything special. It, it's sort of a rehash of older Elton John stuff, which given, I mean, he's in his seventies, so I can't really expect too much from him, but <laughs> Uh,
0: Careful now, I'm 67 years old.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I you know, live your best life. Just chill out in your pajamas, release a song with very low effort and make absurd amounts of money off of it. That's living the dream. Uh,
0: Yes, I don't know whether we're talking about Elton John or Britney Spears there, but but I guess either way it it, kind of works. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. Tanisha, let's sort of carry this thing forward. I mean, I think... Raquel's um, parallelism is kind of interesting. I mean, both of these are stories about that include quite a bit of exploitation. Um, and, and and maybe maybe that's a, a big part of it. And I'm sort of the wrong age to have opinions about Britney Spears anyway, but you're you're a much younger uh, person. Uh, how does this all land I mean, with you? She, yeah.
4: You're right. She fits right into you know my demographic. I watched was Kids Incorporated, which if if you're of a certain age, you know this show. Um, and she and she was on it along with. No, I'm mixing up Kids Incorporated with Mickey Mouse Club. Okay, I'm totally <laughs> of a certain energy.
0: Mickey Mouse Club. Understandable. Right? Understandable. <laughs>
4: So, you know, it's her and it's Justin Timberlake and it's Christina Aguilera and it's um, the one who's about to be in the Barbie movie. I mean, they are a part of a, a class, a cohort of stars. Um, and I think we forget how much machinery is a part of that, both the art making, if you want to call it art or, or pop art making and the lifestyle. And I think what's really Interesting to watch Britney now, you know, after the conservatorship and and making music. If you know, to, to take Miguel's point, you know, this very sort of lazy attempt to get back out there. Um, it, it to me, it's it shows me that like these these creatures need support. That these are collective efforts. That you don't get out here alone. And that there's this tension between her wanting to do this thing. Uh, her life being the thing on her own and and a very clear sense that like art on the level that she was once making doesn't happen as a solo even if that is the story we tell about american individualism and exceptionalism is that it's this one genius that that moves the ball forward that's we know those of us who do this work know that that's not true and i feel like she's stuck in this um space of the fantasy, <laughs> what she thinks we all want from her and, and the reality. And it is a spectacle to watch. I mean, anybody who follows her on Instagram knows you can see her half naked, you can see her ramblings, you can see her completely cogent and coherent um, and sort of walking us through the past 13 years of her life. Um, it, it It is definitely to me a piggyback off of note because of, of the way in which the industry Kind of creates these spectacles for us to
5: chew on.
0: Right. I, okay. You, you were absolutely
5: w- see Britney yeah. Spears wearing that red cowboy outfit playing <laughs> Stephen <laughs> Young's character. She, she would kill it. She'd right. be so good.
0: Uh, yes, Tisha, you, you were way more prepared for that uh, discussion than I had realized, so that was very
4: impressive. I mean, she is, I mean, I grew up with her, you know? Like, I get
0: it. I hear it now, yes. it's. it's <laughs> I'm, I'm totally with you. So, Sean, let me just beat this whole analogy to death here, uh, and then we can move on. <laughs> so, in NOPE, one of the interesting little aspects of NOPE, framing aspects of NOPE, is that there are segments of the movie, and each one begins with the name of an animal. Um, I think that's true all the way through. I don't, I don't think there are any exceptions made to that. And so, sort of the, the which raises the question, well, whose story is being told, and how is the story being told, and is it being told, maybe from an animal's point of view, a little bit more. And yes,
4: sort of, Mr. McEnroe! Yes!
0: <laughs> and so there, so there's a way in which, I wonder if Britney Spears will ever get to really tell her real story. Uh, every refraction of her story is really more about something that somebody else did to her, or now her, her kids wouldn't go to her wedding, to the new guy, and there's just like, but you sort of don't feel this is really her story. It's the story of All of this stuff, you know, back to Raquel's Bible quote. All this filth that's just been ladled onto her all her entire life.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I guess that is her story. Unfortunately, you know what I mean. Like, if 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 that's all she's ever really experienced was like this filth being like thrown at her and thrown on her. Like, I don't. I don't, it's, it's 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 very unfortunate i don't know i don't know how to feel about really like i wish her the best you know like i, I want i want the song to, i wish the song was good like i mean it's not a bad i mean tiny is great so like that's that part's great but it's like you hear how like how much higher elton john's voice is in the mix than hers because like she's not like she's never been known for being the best musician it's i don't know i i, I, I it's a shame because like her moment has passed and I think for a stronger like musician, perhaps she would maybe be able to regain that moment to some extent because, like, I think she got a ton of support and attention when like the the news about her uh, conservatorship uh, sort of broke to the to the public. Like we were like, oh wow, like, we didn't know this was happening to her. But it's like, if let's just imagine, and this is not any any way to compare. Uh, Britney Spears and Beyonce because Beyonce fans will. I was gonna go there, Sean. me, but, but like, if,
4: you know they, they we all
3: forty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if 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 this had happened to Beyonce, like Beyonce would be probably back at the level that Beyonce is at now because she's Beyonce. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I feel like when you're a child star, like they're tapping into something that like you have as a kid that you may not carry into adulthood. And very few actually do. You know what I mean? Shout out to Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, but like, I don't know. it I then I I'm gonna try to make some joke about Leonardo DiCaprio wanting he would have stopped dating Britney Spears about 15 years ago because now she's not. I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs>
5: that's how he stays relevant by yes. like dating the young ones and like vampirically sucking the relevance out of them. <laughs> yeah, maybe 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 that's what Britney <laughs> needs to do.
3: She needs to like date Dua Lipa or something and right. like you know steal some of her juice.
0: Or
4: Have the kind of infrastructure that that Ms. Knowles Carter had. You know, like that's true. It is, I, Beyonce, Serena, you know, these folks who were stars as kids and, and turned that stardom into like something lasting for them as adults, they are rare, right? More often we hear about the screeches, you know, the ones who who are sadly no longer with us. I think there's a track that you can follow th- that can be like a Beyonce. The unfortunate part is that, you know, Britney isn't on that track either in life or in music because Renaissance came out at the same time that this song came out we having different stories,
0: right? I, I do want to, as the panel knows, I want to do a hoist a flag in, in support of Elton John, whose music I stopped listening to a really long time ago. I mean, uh, he's not musically interesting to me anymore. But he has kind of, a, I think, emerged as something of a mensch. And yeah, Raquel's right. There's going to be checks coming in, you know? but I, I'm not sure he needs those checks all that badly. It strikes me lately that he that this is something kind of nice that he did. That he was, said he was aware of this whole story, and uh, you know, he didn't he didn't need to do this. I, I I think he did it probably out of some kind of kindness. Uh, I was watching a Brian Wilson documentary, another person broken by an exploitive father and other problems and was touched by the number of times Elton John came on and said kind of the right thing about that. I think his Lockdown Sessions album also reflected kind of a real grown-up response to the pandemic, which not every rock star of his generation was capable of making. Uh, so I, I do, I feel like, you know, I mean, I want to believe in somebody anyway. I, I think uh, Elton is emerging as kind of nice here. Now, we're a little bit pressed for time, but I also do feel, Raquel, like there's some kind of jump we can make from Britney Spears to She-Hulk. Uh, we're going to do a whole She-Hulk episode <laughs> of The Nose later on, and and probably some of these panels will be back on it for that. But there was this thing, this idea that well, through online reviews— uh, and sort of nasty Gamergate kind of guys were doing their best to undermine She-Hulk. Uh, it, it is sort of where the aesthetic is gone. Megan Thee Stallion is now uh, appearing on it. Uh, t- Tatiana Mislawi, who is this fantastic multi, you know, multi-personality actor, uh, has the lead role. Uh, but there was a sense, oh, well, guys just don't want that to be very successful. I don't know. I don't, and, and, and a video to that extent was made on by The Washington Post. What, was you, what were your thoughts?
5: I mean, there's there's definitely gonna be like weird conservative, like anti, you know, misogynist trolls online, but I feel like the the way that they're emphasized, it it feels like it's kind of cynically trying to divert attention away from an actually really thoughtful and, and and serious conversation that people are having about. The way that companies like marvel really poorly treat vfx artists so famously a lot of vfx artists have come out to talk about how the company like overworks underpays people to the point where it's not really possible to for them to do good work that looks good and and framing it as a feminist show too kind of bugs me because one of uh, vfx artists who works for the company who put the show together said that they had executive meddling preventing the artists from making she hulk really big these executives kept telling them to make the character design like smaller and thinner and more feminine to appeal to the male gaze. So if we're going to talk about feminism, it feels a little cynical to to say like, oh, these bros don't like it because they're misogynists. When a certain degree, I think, of misogyny already went into the design of the show of like not making her too, quote unquote, bulky or too muscular.
0: So hold me closer, tiny Hulk. Uh, no, no, uh, we want a big Hulk. Uh, I've seen that the through line between these two segments is never trust a guy whose first name is Kevin and s- second name begins with F. Uh, all right, so, um, <laughs> s- so Tanisha, I know you're you're all the way through on, on She-Hulk, right? You're you're you're, you're I, with the series uh, I'm already. A
4: I am. And I, and I don't know if I want to say fan, but it's something that I watch with my kids. You know, we sort of dig it together. I think you're so spot on Raquel. I mean, I cringed in the first episodes when, you know, she's talking about how she handles her emotions and it is so um, within the binary, the conversation that they're having. And so, I mean, I, I, I do find it fascinating uh, that men are sort of harping on this show because I think it was absolutely built with men in mind. Um, and, you know, that to me is more like a, a continued reminder that we should make things for the people are meant for and that in the specificity will come universality. Um, but, I, but I also will put in a good review <laughs> for right. it. One good review. Hopefully there are more. Um, Cause I think it, it, it's nice to have a, a girl superhero. Um, and it's nice to have a girl superhero who can get the best of the boys sometimes. And you know, there's an opportunity for these stories to live outside of the binary. And I think what you're talking about, Raquel, of, of the artist inside of it, being able to do that work so that it comes to fruition is so necessary. I just don't know if a ship like Marvel can get there.
0: <laughs> All right. So we have just w- one uh, little chance for Sean. Although, Sean, I do want to say that they already did this with Hawkeye and I loved it. Uh, and they they turned Hawkeye, Hawkeye into a young woman and that young woman whose name I'm blocking right now is terrific. Uh, Kate and, Bush. Yeah. No, no, it's not, it's not Kate Bush. Um, no, it's Kate Bishop. <laughs> um, no no it's not it's what's her name she was in True Grid and all that kind of stuff. No it's the
3: character's Kate Bishop. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, actress is Haley Seinf- uh, yeah. Seinfeld.
0: Yeah, and she's terrific and she's like she's a lot crazy. more she's a lot more interesting than Jer- Jeremy Renner. Let's be honest about that. And and there's a way in which, you know, these are really interesting it's things to watch. Insane. Um but but I, we're not here to evaluate that. I don't know what was your sort of take though Sean on the whole idea that maybe guys just want to be toxic about this to use a Britney Spears term. <laughs>
3: Um, I think that's, I think there's absolutely, uh, the truth to that. I think that happens. I I was, I was referencing, uh, earlier, uh, in our, uh, email chain about, um, like Ghostbusters in 2016, they got a lot of like hateful male reviews, which detracts from the fact that the movie was just bad on its own right. But there was a lot of misogynist, uh, like attacks on that movie, which sort of doesn't allow for like the legit review. Like, like it's, it's hard to say like, like I didn't like Ghostbusters at all, but I don't wanna say I didn't like Ghostbusters because I don't want to be lumped in with the people who didn't like Ghostbusters twenty sixteen because they starred a bunch of women. Um so I I think um I do agree with uh that uh with Raquel that Marvel is trying to benefit from that by saying like like keying in on that to hide like what their real issues are. Um but I think the solution to all this is that Britney Spears should get some Hulk blood in her and become <laughs> our own Cheat Hulk, and then she'll probably solve her problems that way.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's a Marvel moment coming out there. All right, we got to go to a break, so we'll have time to make some recommendations. <laughs>
5: I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is
3: just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories, and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org W-A-T.
1: Support provided by the Richard P. Garmini Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving,
0: the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut Humanities. All right. In the technical producer's booth right now, we've got Dylan Rays and Cat Pastor. Uh, and thanks to both of them. Thanks to Jonathan McPants for producing this and pretty much all news episodes. Now time to make some recommendations. Uh, Raquel Benedict, why don't you get us going?
5: Uh, I will start by recommending a horror movie that just dropped on HBO Max. It's called We're All Going to the World's Fair. And it's about a young, an alienated uh, young person who's playing some sort of strange internet alternate reality game that may or may not cause weird changes in in the person playing them. But it's a really good movie that captures the very strange loneliness of being way, way
0: too online. It's quite good. Oh, great. All right. uh, Tanisha Dugan, what have you got for us today?
4: I got two. My first one is a book called Black Boy Joy by Kwame Mbalia. It's a series of like short stories. I've been reading them with my son London. They're fantastic, um, highly recommend. And also for your TV watching, I'm recommending A League of Our Own. Um, it They do some really lovely like callbacks to the movie as a person who liked the movie, um, but takes it in a wholly new queer direction, which is fantastic.
0: All right, so that's on uh, Amazon Prime, I believe, these days. Uh, the repurposed, oh, yeah, good talk. Uh, a, a, league of, a League of Our Own. Um, all right, and you guys are going pretty briskly through this, but that's okay. So we have kind of, I have a little musical thing at the end, anyway. That'll be nice. But uh, so, Sean, uh, what are you going to recommend?
3: I would like to recommend uh, He Hulk, the male Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would like to recommend uh, one uh, the the music from the movie *Note* uh, by Michael Abels, the original motion picture soundtrack for that movie, is tremendous. Great score. Um, and uh, my other recommendation is, I just watched. Um, or the Criterion uh, channel. Was oh, it on the channel or a collection. Oh, did I buy the DVD? I can't remember. But the Friends of Eddie Coyle, 1973 film uh, starring Robert Mitchum. Uh, it's one of those movies where it's like, oh, there were so many great movies in the 70s that you just completely, no one ever talks about this. But it's like one of the best movies I've ever seen. So, I don't know. Check that out if you like old crime movies. All right. So
0: um, let's
4: pause real quick, Colin, and just shout out Jordan Peele's ability to take pop music and embed them into his movies in the most clever ways. I mean, stunning, 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 Sean. I love the recommendation.
0: Yeah, great recommendations uh, all around. So um, one thing that I'm going to recommend from NOPE uh, or connected to NOPE is – so one of the things that becomes kind of a plot device in NOPE in a way that I could almost not explain to you are what are called sometimes sky dancers. These are the inflatable men uh, who are outside auto dealerships and stuff like that. So I'm going to recommend – from the podcast 99% Invisible, that's Roman Mars's massive engine of looking at design and stuff like that. There actually is, from 2014, an episode called Inflatable Men uh, about where these things came from, who actually invented them. The, I will <laughs> give you one thing. The man who uh, invented them, uh, he doesn't call them any of those things. He calls them tall boys. Uh, But anyway, it's just just a terrific look at that. And and actually, it's actually a story of exploitation to a certain degree. The guy who kind of figured out how to make them work, I think, didn't get any of the money for them at all. All right. So the other thing that I want to mention is that uh, Maureen McGovern has announced uh, over the past week that due to uh, early stage dementia, she cannot tour anymore. She can't even drive a car anymore. Maureen McGovern, although she's kind of associated to a certain degree with slightly schlocky movie themes, is... a, an amazing pure singer and some people know that I had this disastrous experience with her where I attempted to sing with her on stage having forgotten that she has a six octave range uh, but she was a great sport about it. It was partly her idea anyway but I mean it's such a sad thing she's a, uh, an amazing talent particularly when she focuses kind of in the American songbook the, the jazz standards so we're just going to end today with a, a little bit of that remarkable voice Maureen McGovern Ooh. Thanks very much to our panel this week. First of all, Maureen McGovern, let's hope that voice is not entirely stilled by her current problems. Uh, But meanwhile, thanks to Raquel Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction, host of the Right Good podcast, Tanisha Dugan, associate producer at Octopus Theatrical, Sean Murray, stand-up comedian and writer and the host of the Nobody Asked Sean podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will be back. We're off for Labor Day. We'll be back on Tuesday with an all-calls show and ask or tell me any show and then a week of other excitements that I forget what they actually are.